we were trying to make the best from what we could, but I think borderline personality disorder, I know a lot of it is rooted in trauma. And I think a lot of it was that he was always in trouble. He was always getting blamed for things or talking back. He just had no filter. And so a lot of it was just being in trouble. Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. And mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists one click away. Go check out BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Get 10% off your first month. Start your wellness now. This conversation that we're going to be having on Borderline is a little bit different than the previous conversation that I've been having coming from a caretaker, a loved one's perspective, what it was like to live with someone that was pre-diagnosis, after diagnosis, what the roller coaster ride is like, and how do you take care of yourself as well as your loved one without drowning with them in this roller coaster ride of mental illness and borderline personality disorder. This conversation is so important, not only for borderline, but for any caretaker, if it's physical or mental, we have to learn that as much as someone that we love is struggling and literally drowning in their suffering, I think this conversation is going to be very helpful for parents, for loved ones, for partners, for friends, for maybe even employees, for neighbors, for society. How do we have empathy with boundaries? It has been a very long journey. And my son, he's 29. And he was originally diagnosed when he was six. So we've had challenges along the way with school and educators and bosses, jobs, and the healthcare system and mental health system. It's been a long journey. So I, I love that we have, people have a resource to go to. So it's, it definitely has been a, a journey for sure. Yeah. And you could look back and say, I'm happy to give this knowledge to someone because I didn't have someone telling me what I know now. So it's finding meaning in the suffering. At least I can help somebody, maybe give them insight, comfort, clarity, or strength to do what they need to do in the next steps when they are going through what you went through. So tell us a little bit about what was it like when he was six? Because you said he was first diagnosed with something when he was sick, something was off. So tell us about that. It was ADHD and it it was pretty severe. We had, he had to be taken out of school and he was hospitalized a couple of times. So it wasn't your typical daydreaming Johnny in the back of the room. It was flipping tables over and having to chase him around. And my husband was in the military. So we, he deployed a lot and that seemed to always, that was always the trigger. So we, we tried to make it so that we didn't have to move around a lot, but with the military, 
you can't not deploy. We were trying to make the best from what we could, but borderline personality disorder, I know a lot of it is rooted in trauma. And a lot of it was that he was always in trouble. He was always getting blamed for things or talking back. He just had no filter. A lot of it was just being in trouble. They're all through school. And he did graduate school and also the trauma, he had cancer when he was 16. So that was a whole other, I remember the doctor telling us, you think you have issues now? This is a whole other level of issues. And I didn't understand it at the time. But looking back, I thought to be 16 and not, he was saying, I'm never going to get married. And he had a lot of scars from the surgery because it started off as a surgery. And then they found out, oh, he's got cancer. It was just the kid had has had a crappy hand dealt to him from then on. And then it was bipolar diagnosis because he was, he ended up in a hospital for substance abuse because he couldn't live here after always doing self-medicating. So, cause we have other children in the house. And then it, then after that, when he was uh, 25, I want to say 25, 26 is when he started seeking out mental health for himself. Cause he knows he's just had, he just has trouble keeping and holding relationships and He wants his just main goal in life is to find the perfect woman and settle down, but he just has such a hard time. So he started uh, going to therapy on his own. And that's when they said, it sounds a lot like bipolar is one thing, but it sounds, it, it, it definitely is the borderline personality disorder. So when he told me about it, and I started my own research, internet's such a great thing. So I can research all day long. And the more I looked at it as his mom, who I talked to him several times a day, by the way, he doesn't live with me, but he lives close and we talk every day. And I thought this definitely does sound like him. So I started researching how I can help him, how I can help myself, because it does seem to spiral down. He has very black and white thinking and he looks at the most, the worst case scenario in everything. And even when he is trying to be nice things and be sweet, it comes off as being really angry. So for example, when, whenever I'm up there, he lives about an hour away. Whenever I'm up there, I like to take him shopping, but he has no patience for people. He will get the shopping cart and just like zip around people. And I'm just following, trying to follow him. And he would just complain about everything, complain about prices and everything. And then he'll look back and he's, by the way, you're doing a really good job, mom, in a really harsh voice. So I have to take it like, okay, I, so I learned, I've got a lot of coping strategies. I I love to share them with you because I have a lot. But the most thing is one, understanding that I can't be there every time he calls or every time he texts. My fear is that the one time I don't is when he really needs me or he feels hopeless or wants to hurt himself. So I always have that fear that if I don't answer it, but then that kind of drives me crazy. To live with that guilt, the fear, the what ifs, but then at the same time, how do you show up for yourself and how do you live at the edge? You're basically living at the edge constantly. And you never know what it's going to be. It could be, I have, I, I found a job. I lost a job. I have a girlfriend. She broke up with me. It's always, it's very extreme. It's never middle of the road, mundane issues. It's always really something is something really big. He's feeling so overwhelmed by life. And I'm like, so what's happening? He's, oh, I ha- my dog has fleas. 
And, and that to him is just going to send him over the edge. Whereas somebody like me, who I can handle that with 50 other things I got going on, I have a really hard time understanding that. And if I have a hard time, I know everybody else has a hard time because I have the most patience in the world with him. So I have to understand that too, is that, is that not everybody understands what it is to be like to live like him. It's got to be rough every day thinking about the way he gets up every day thinking the weight of the world is on his shoulders because he has to get up and basically just get up and live it's really hard how did you develop that extreme empathy and sympathy and sensitivity to someone that's not really giving you back comfort it's always putting out his fires one the concept of no scorekeeping you have to be all in and that means no conditions no strings showing up and understanding that i can give all day long and give him money or sympathy or a place to vent a soft landing and if i'm always thinking he better be nice or he better reciprocate or something it's never going to work it's just like with your spouse i never uh scorekeep with the spouse as well because if i'm not all in it just is not going to work wow but i feel like with a spouse a, a child is the only thing that can have unconditional love i believe yeah. even a child to a parent doesn't have unconditional love but a parent to a child that's the only possibility with a partner the past and what we're hoping for in the future that can get us through the hard times of the now. There is some kind of a scorekeeping, even in our emotions, even if our intelligence is not, but our emotion is going to burst out. With a child, in your case, you could say, I'm all in mm -hmm. because he's my responsibility. He's my child. He's my responsibility emotionally, even though he's an adult now. But if I'm not going to be there for him, who? That bond, I've always had just this overwhelming. I always said that um, I'm glad I'm not the disciplinary. <laughs> Because I'm like the, the Michelin man. I have a very hard time disciplining the, the kids. My husband was always played that role. And it's been so long since we've, I've been dealing with him. In the beginning, it was more of a relationship. Was, I d it was walking on eggshells, definitely. I did, never knew what was going to set him off. And what I thought was going to be like I had planned a fun day for him. He would say, why aren't you thinking about me? Oh, I don't like taking pictures. You're trying to torture me. I'm thinking fun day. He's thinking torture. So it was definitely learning what's going to work with him, what isn't. And I found that one, judgment. I had a lot of judgment in what, for one, what other people would see. I was always having to excuse his behavior or make excuses and things like that. And my own judgment of I really his smoking, for example. I had a I, I was always like, I just I hate the smoking and I wish he would keep the house better picked up or but once I started really working on that, and that was a few years ago, that was the biggest thing. Once I dropped all the judgment. And I can just enjoy being around him. Even though he didn't, he was, he went through a period where he would only wear a jacket with no shirts and, or shoes with no socks or one shoe and no, the other one was just a sock. So it was just, and instead of coming in, because the last thing he needs is for me to be pointing stuff out to him and you know, he's mm -hmm. having a rough day, just showing up and it would hurt me. It would really hurt me to see him in that kind of condition. But I, I didn't want to pile on. And I thought, well, I'll just, just be with him. And how can I help him? Instead of my mind instantly going to, 
why can't he? It was, how can I? How can I make his day a little bit better? Buy him a carton of cigarettes, take him out to lunch. Wow. He's in a bad mood, just drop him off if he wants to be by himself. How do you feel? How do you fill yourself up? Don't you get depleted after a while of giving? That's where the tools and strategies come in because one, there's what I call inside the moment tools and outside the moment tools. Because when you get into a heated, when you're in it, when you're in it with somebody, I have a hard time stepping back and I just need five or 10 seconds sometimes. So those are the inside the moment tool. Just to breathe and just say, okay, don't react, breathe, stop, pause. Yeah. Inside the moment is, so for example, he'll say things that, that it's like his fallback about I don't want to take medicine because you always put me on medicine. You guys were always trying to get me to do stuff. And I I just have to think of a sailboat. You've got a sail. I'm catching all that wind. Basically, I'm catching all the words that he's saying. And I get really defensive because I'm like, you don't know what I went through to, you know, find the doctors. And I flew him across the country to get the brain scans from, from doctors. We sent him to doctors without insurance. We made a lot of sacrifices to, to help him out. I get really defensive. I have to learn, just drop the sail, let him talk. And then the other one is the biggest one that I use is the 50%. So I don't answer the phone now or engage with him. Unless I know I'm at least 50%. Strong. Yeah, we'll have a gas tank of at least half full. So either my mood, if I'm really busy or working on a project or in the middle of something or the dogs are barking or, you know, and I'm feeling a little stressed, I make sure I'm at least at 50%. So how do you measure that? That's such a great tactic, by the way. Oh, I love it. How do you measure that? That what? Tell me. Just kind of my smiling. If I can't answer the phone with a smile, I probably should be answering the phone. Wow. For me, it's how do I get there? So for me, it's taking a walk, playing with my dogs. I can't help but smile when I'm playing with the dogs, listening to music, reading. It's just put me in a because I, the more I look into energy types, because he's definitely what you call type three, mm-hmm. he's like a bowling ball, ball in a china shop. He moves through the world with stomps and thuds, where mm-hmm. I move through, like, think of a meadow energy, and I love to cozy up on the couch. I have to understand that he, it's going to take a lot of energy for me to meet him where he is. So I have to, and it's been a while since I kind of, so I know now. When I'm in that 50%, because I know that even if I'm in a really good mood, it can turn in five minutes and I'm being a crappy mood for the rest of the day. And husband hates it when that happens because we're in that phase where the children are gone. We want to enjoy stuff. And one conversation can put a downer on stuff. So I have to be really elevated to talk to him so that even if I do come down a little bit, I can get myself back up over that line pretty quickly. So you're constantly filling up your own gas tank, not asking him to do it for you, but you're that it's you're what you took upon yourself that in order to be able to be there for him, you need to fill up your own gas tank when you have time and be ready for him when he comes depleted. And if you're not at that 50, it's okay. You're going to wait until you have a chance to go to the next gas station to refill. And that's okay. Yeah, no no that's, guilt, no frustration, no blame. No, there's always that little guilt because I'm sometimes he'll, he, his hours are always off. So he's usually stays up all night. 
So at 6 a.m., he's, mom, I got to talk to you about something. So I'm always trying little things. So the last thing I tried was because I I never know if I need to spend two minutes and ask and answer a question, or this is going to be a, what's the meaning of life, hour-long conversation. I never know. So I told him, before we get on the phone, you need to text me and you need to tell me. We have a number system. Oh, wow. Is he on board with this? Is he aware? Let me tell you what happened because it's funny. So I told him. If it's a, if it's a one, it's just, you need like a quick yes or no answer. So I I know what to to think about. If it's a number two, it's, you need to talk with me about something, but it doesn't really require anything of, I don't need to really give you a decision on anything. We just, you just want to talk to me an event. And three is you want to talk more, but you need me to engage with you. We need to come to a decision or something. And then the four is, it's too overwhelming for you. You want me to take it over for you. So I explain that to him. So every time he would call and I say, what is it? He goes, it's a four. It's always crisis. Always a crisis. So I'm like, okay, that really, that's not, I don't think that's going to work out for us. So we're always trying to communicate better. And by also telling him my needs as well, because he, he thinks of me as his mother and I should be always there, always listening, anytime, day or night, d- devoted. And another thing too is understanding that he's on his own journey. And this was the biggest thing for me to, to get over was that if he decides to move into his car or jack up with a friend or spend all his money or do drugs or, or whatever he's going to do, it's his own journey. And he's got to choose and live in the results that of the decisions that he's made. I tend to, because I've always sheltered him and looked out for him. and Protected him. Protected Quote him. unquote, thinking that it's protecting, but maybe at a certain time we have to stop protecting and let them be and suffer through consequences because too much protection is not letting them walk through their journey and learn. And and because I always thought, well, if he gets in trouble with the law, I'm going to have to end up paying for it anyway, in some respect. And it also is reflection of me as a mom. How could it be that my child went against the law? What kind of a mother am I? Didn't I raise him properly? It's a complete, a feeling of reflection, which is not. And it's, and again, it, it goes back to more, it's a judgment, but self-judgment. Oh dear, where did I go wrong? And then also um, working on my own triggers, which is, is something that I started doing this past year understanding what exactly is it that I'm fearful of in talking to him. And and some of it was that whenever he starts telling me how bad his life is, I will minimize it and say, well, honey, it's not that bad. And because my, and I have to really look at that because one, it's not serving him. It's minimizing his feelings Two, what am I fearful of? I'm fearful that he's going to hurt himself. And I don't want to, I, that's where the confusion, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's every fear that you've ever had as a parent will come up and it's facing that and working through it and understanding that no matter what happens, and this is where faith comes in and spirituality, no matter what happens, everything is going to be fine. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I'm working. Wow. That's powerful. And, and one of the things that you mentioned to me in the past was how to really be empathetic and see him as his struggle, but at the same time, give empathy and sympathy to you as a mom that's seeing a child that is struggling. 
So you basically have to comfort two people, yourself and him at the same time. And it's a balance. And this is where understanding more about the what it means to have borderline personality disorder, what it means to have it, what they're experiencing. I have no idea because I've never had to deal with anything like that. And learning more just about his blueprint, what kind of, what his hopes and fears and, and what he wants out of life and how I'm interacting with him. Because through his whole life, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's so difficult, such a challenge. And I was very quick to label. He's got this or he's got, I mean, he's had a lot of diagnosis over the years. And instead of lay, putting, just slapping a label on it, it, what I'd like to do is work toward, well, tell me what you're feeling right now. Instead of, mom, you don't understand, this is what I have. And I'm like, what are you feeling? And he's, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I go, I can help you with that. We can work and talk through it. Or if he feels anxious or sad or mad, at least we can work through feelings rather than slapping a label on it and just saying, okay, then there's nothing we can do about it. So the empathy piece really comes into how would I feel if every day I just didn't have nothing to look forward to? And it's so sad. That's what I feel. I feel very empathetic toward him. And yet it comes back to it's, it's his own journey. He's got a, I can't live his life for him. I keep telling him, I can't really live your life for you. Can't make decisions for you. So let's what can I do? How can I be of help when I'm 50% or above? How can I be of help? How can I give you some comfort now or assist you through your challenges now, but only when I'm 50% and above? Okay. And when I'm feeling less, I can. You're going to have to find your tools or maybe stay in a little bit of misery now because I just can't assist and that's okay. Yeah. Communicating that to him mm-hmm. so that he, under- he still doesn't really get it. Ask you, does he understand or does it feel like one of the biggest things with borderline, a trigger is rejection and abandonment. Does he, un- th- can he process that you're also a human being and you also have emotions and you also need a break and you also need compassion? Can he understand that? It, depending on when he's, when we catch each other. And this is why the, when he starts to go down that road of why are you always running away? Cause we'll get to the point where it's, it's just not a constructive phone call anymore. And I'm like, look, I got to go. And he's like that you're always running away from me. And now that I understand the disorder more, I understand that for him, this is a, like a, like a, like a panic attack kind of thing. Like as if a lion is coming running at him and yeah. he's, Oh my God, I'm afraid this lion's going to eat me. And for you disconnecting is I'm about to die because the fear of abandonment goes. You're down. right. And I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. But yeah. now that I do, I'll say, I'm not trying to run away. I'll approach it rather than like, I'm leaving. Bye. And hanging up. It's, you know what? I go, I got to go. How about we, I'll, I'll touch base with you in a couple hours or so, but I really got to get some stuff done or I have to get dinner going. And I try not to end it. Sometimes it's just inevitable when it gets to the very upset and it's yelling and screaming. And I just, my boundaries are actually stand. My standards for myself is I cannot feel that. I'm just going to set that standard. I'm not a person who's with another person who treats me a certain way. My husband always uses, I don't deserve to be spoken to that way. Very common. I don't deserve to be spoken to that way. Do you want to rephrase it? Do you want to? And I learned a lot from that because sometimes people get defensive versus just holding your ground. Say, listen, you can say whatever you want to say, but I don't deserve it that tone. So 
let's address it without the anger and without all of the emotions. And we're two people, we're two humans. When I relate that to him, then I say, here are the boundaries you cannot cross. And when you do, I'm just gonna have to hang up. And it doesn't mean I'm abandoning you or I never want to talk to you again or don't like you. I love you, but I just can't have that. That's just my own standards. Does he accept it? Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness. Self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others. Essential for healing. If you want to work one-on-one with me in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's a custom-made program for you, one-on-one with me. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. And now enjoy the rest of the episode. Does he accept it? He has to because it doesn't serve anybody if we're just going back and forth and yelling. And, and also we think completely different. And now that I'm getting to understand a little bit more how he thinks, it's easier for me to work on my triggers with him because I see how he falls back into the you always or you never the very black and white thinking. And when I express that to him, like you're doing the black and white thinking again, he's yeah, you're right. But now that we started using more of labeling our feelings, it's a little bit easier than just blanketing like when you're a jerk or you don't understand me, that kind of thing. It's more, you're doing the black and white thinking again. He's yeah, I know. And but it's love. It's really hard to be mad at him, especially if I get, give me 15 minutes, I might still be, my bell needs to ring out a little bit, but give me a day. And I'm just like, what are you doing? I can't, it's hard for me to be, not keep in touch with him. He is super fun to be around. So that, I want to touch upon that because I just spoke to a woman that is in a relationship with someone that's, that was diagnosed with borderline after they thought it was bipolar and PTSD, but it was diagnosed with um, borderline. And one of the, and I asked her, what fills you up? Because you're constantly walking on eggshells, constantly. And how you have to be the caretaker in the relationship in a way. I said, what fills you up? She's, he's super fun. He is super fun. And he fills something inside me and there's something nurturing about it. So tell me about that fun side. And this kind of goes back to the energy types. So for him, who's the, he's the mover. He makes things happen. If I want something to happen, I will call him and give him a project and it'll get done. And he will show up. He's always wanting to earn money. So I said, I'll give you, if you want to come over and pressure wash or whatever, and just to watch him like, and get this project done. And he's always trying to do it in the least amount of, of work possible in the quickest time possible. And, and I can, I always can see what's going to happen. So if ever I want something done, he's just that energy type. And also he's very passionate about video games. So in computers, so whenever, and he doesn't want to talk about usually anything, but that 
And I'm like, I don't know anything about video games, but I'll say, have you played World of Warriors? And he's mom, it's World of Warcraft that my character and he'll start telling me his character and he's really good. He's very well known in the gaming community. So he'll tell me all about the what he does and he'll put little voices to the guys and he'll put the streaming hat on or whatever the headset I'll put the headset on and then he'll just go into a room and just start killing his own people just for fun because that's just what he likes to do but it's just these little things that I could see a girlfriend or a friend would just be so amused all day as his mom I can only take so much because I'm like I got a book to read right but does he make you laugh oh really so it's not always this heavy, dark heart. There's a lot of laughter and excitement and love as well. I definitely think so. I I don't always know because a lot of them, they do like wrong. Just that he was, because in general, some people like to be unhappy. That's just the kind of their natural mm-hmm. state is to be mm-hmm. unhappy or things to go wrong because that's where they feel most comfortable. A lot of times I could see that he's in that state, but then He'll have something happen where it's, he lifts his day and he has a few extra dollars. So he likes to take it to a homeless person. He loves to do people because he was homeless for a while. And he's like, I know how it feels. Wow. So he's, and I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. And then he'll tell me that next our neighbor, I guess he's in a wheelchair and his, the wife likes to take him out. And he goes, it's like, he goes, I always go out there and say, you're like a bearded dragon, sunning yourself all the time. So he's always trying to lift up other people. Beautiful. And he's yet, I'm like going, I just, I sometimes I wish he would just take that inward and, and get himself a little bit more, but it's easier for him to be miserable, but then other, make other people happy. I don't know if that makes any sense. But. Yeah. Yeah. Because maybe it has, maybe it became his identity and he didn't have the tools yet to apply and say, okay, this is things that I struggle with, but I can also gift myself to not be miserable if I do the work of DBT, of therapy, of owning, of, as you said, identifying the emotions, right? What's really coming back instead of being reactive, noticing the emotion. But it takes a lot of courage and a lot of strength and patience to do it. And I hear this over and over from people that, that are diagnosed with borderline, that it's a constant work and it's exhausting and it's mm-hmm. and it could be lonely and frustrating many um, hiccups along the way that could set back and then they're like oh we have to go back into the game again we felt and they feel like they lost out and it, it's not fair and why are we li- like this and why can't we just have a brain like everybody else that sees things like everybody else why do we have to be triggered they feel like it's not fair and i feel for them because it's not in their control 100%. Yes, they could go through DBT, but it takes a tremendous amount of work. Mm-hmm. Tremendous amount of work. Yeah. And two is especially when I've talked to other parents, when the person, the younger that they are, it seems like they have this arrested development. They're a few years behind emotionally and emotional intelligence. So they have, and especially my son who has a really hard time identifying how he should feel about something. Mm -hmm. And once he, and it's almost like a a big catharsis when he does find out like, oh, this is what it's like to be content. He's never content with anything. It's always um, super mad or everything is the greatest thing ever. And then that lasts for a few days or something. And then it goes back to the status quo. So. He's never lacked 
Churchill or it's either major, majorly depressed, can't get off the couch, going outside and want to dig ditches for free. I just never know. Just never know. Do you ever ask him if he has big dreams for life and does he have dreams for life? I do. And he keeps saying, I just want to find somebody that will accept me and love me. And I mean, he recently lost a hundred pounds. Wow. I know it was during Pokemon Go where he just loved to play the game and he was outside walking and walking for hours and hours. Wasn't that years ago? Yeah. That was like four, five, six years ago. When was that? It was a few years ago and it started and he thought, I'm going to, I'm going to get on this track. In his mind, he's thinking, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to eat better and I'm going to meet somebody and I'm going to have a fantastic life. And then he did, he lost weight. He met somebody and it didn't work out. Then he's like, I got to move. So that, Mm. so that started a whole other process of wanting to move away from where he was. And, but that's just the thing, very extreme. Everything is just really extreme. But yeah, so now he's back on track. And now that he's been moved for a while, he's back on track and looking for love. We all do. We all want love. Every human on planet Earth, every creature on planet Earth wants love. Who does not? Yeah, six human needs, love and connection, sense of belonging. Right. And that's what he just wants. He wants to be part of a group, part of a team, having a significant other. So that's where, because he's never really had that. That's hard to attain when you're emotionally all over the place. You mentioned that you go to a support group for family members that live with a loved one that has borderline personality disorder. So our local NAMI, you know, National Alliance for the Mentally Ill chapter meets. And fun fact, my very first job was Alliance for the Mentally Ill. I was the, like the office person my very first full-time job when I was 18. <laughs> so I learned about mental illness a long time ago. Yeah. So when I moved here, I'm originally from California. We moved to North Carolina and the resources here are different than they are in California. So I first reached out to them and it's very rural here, very small group. Maybe there's maybe one or two regulars in our group and they switched it from once a month to twice a month. Mm. So now We get the same two, three people showing up, but it's the moderator has a daughter with the same diagnosis as me. So we can definitely relate. And I love having somebody that's, I feel like I'm in the boat with them. Yeah. And you could compare notes. You can vent to someone that gets it. They don't Mm -hmm. have to explain it. And there's just like another, it's like belonging. Oh, I I belong here. They get me. I don't have to explain. And all the, all the quirks that you go through. Cause if you're talking to another parent and you're explaining something and they're just looking at you, you just sprouted a third eye and they're like, that's really odd. And I'm like, not really. But if you have another parent say, oh my gosh, that just happened to us last night too. You, you feel like I could definitely share with these people. No judgment. I don't have to filter what I'm going to say or make it sound less than horrific that it really was. So that's support groups are always really good. Is there any online support group? You would think now with Corona and Zoom, you would be able to find people from all over the world and gather together. I just haven't. I prefer smaller groups. When I started going to the groups, it was sporadic because it was always one, it was only once a month. And then when they moved to Zoom, it was a lot easier for me. So now I feel like I tend more. And I have another group that I'm in that it's a year-long program. And this is where I'm learning all about the working on triggers, which is definitely helping with my parenting. 
skills. Mm -hmm. So we're learning about triggers and tools and strategies and inside the moment, outside the moment tools. So it's that's helped me more than anything. You can't really vent in, the, in this type of coaching program. So that's where the support groups come in. What have you tried? What works? What doesn't? Does anybody have a resource? That's what's that's what really uh, fills in a lot of it for me. I want to just shift a little bit for go back 15 years when he was growing up and you had other kids at home. Were the rules different for him and how did you explain it to the other children? Oh, yes. So my youngest son, is, they're five and a half years apart. My son, I always described him as that cartoon that's always spinning around like the Tasmanian devil, the vortex of when he came inside the house. Because it was always chaos and always upset about something and always wanting a reaction from other people. So it was stressful to have to deal to have to deal with that. And so when he I'm glad that they were so far apart that it wasn't the younger son had his own friends and did his own thing. They always had separate bedrooms. So it's very hard, but the youngest one is so, he's a little wise man in, in, in a teenage body back then. He understood, especially when the when my son had cancer. And then he really felt, gosh, this, that's when he really felt like he's, he's got to deal with a lot, not only with school and friends, and now he's got this scar on his body and he's just had a hard go of it. And everything else was always very easy for my youngest son. He's been on autopilot since kindergarten, haven't really had to, to do that. And now when we talk, I ask him, what do you think it was? Did you miss out on anything? Yeah, I was just going to say, did you ever yeah. have that conversation? Yeah. And he said, he goes, I, he goes, yeah, but I understood that people do need different. It was never about this. And I didn't because we, we treated them the same and the youngest son never got in trouble. So I never really had to dole out one one punishment for one and the other one did the same thing and punish him differently. It was just, I, I got so lucky. I don't think it was my parenting that did anything. I just think I got really lucky in that the youngest one was very understanding of the whole thing. You're very lucky because one of the things I hear often is we're devoting 200% of our time to this one child and the Three, five, seven. I come from an Orthodox community. We have many children. It's like a family, an average family is four to 10. Yeah. So there are kids that are left, and the parents are trying to prevent suicide, to put into a mental institute, or to find the right hospitals, to find the right drugs, to run around. And the other kids are really being neglected, not on purpose, just because we have to put out the biggest fire now. Right now, the biggest fire is the kid with the mental illness and the other kids struggle because the parents are not around or they don't have the mental capacity to take on even the slightest thing of, oh, that kid bullied me in school. I'm so sad. And I'm like, okay, figure it out. I'm not, or I, they're not even there to hear it. Or I missed, I, I missed out on this. You forgot to fill out this application for this. And I'm like, oh my God. So the kids that are not struggling with mental illness are struggling with kind of an abandonment of not being present. And it's really hard. And I, and it's a problem. It's really a problem. And you're lucky that your son was so understanding. Yeah, he's, and two is when the oldest one, he did leave the house when he was 18. And he joined the job corps and it lasted a month. 
It was always like we would try something. The youngest one, I I could talk to him as though he was a peer sometimes mm-hmm. because he was, I felt, just a little bit beyond his age. And I would just keep him abreast and not try to hide anything from him or make it sound different than what it was. And he's he was just really understanding. And I got, plus I got the whole high school with him time where the oldest one, my son was out of the house by then. I felt like I kind of wanted to make it up because I felt we did devote so much energy to the other one for a long time. And this is when I started the my work at home business. So I was able to, you know, go to every school function, volunteer job I could mm-hmm. with him. So yeah, I, I got really lucky. And it's an important thing for parents to understand that, yes, we can't give equal to all our kids. We just can't. And it's unfortunate, but it's not our fault. And we do the best we can. We show up this moment the best we can with what we have now in front of us. And then we take one minute at a time and it's hard. And we can address the children when we have time to to maybe think, be grateful to them and say, thank you for being patient. Thank you. And maybe one day we can discuss, maybe one day you'll understand. Maybe one day I can repay you Because really, some of them get really left behind emotionally or physically. And it could be such a hard, sad journey for the parent because they're trying so hard and yet they feel like they're failing on all ends because the mental health is not getting better. I just spoke to a parent that told me, I've been trying for a year and a half, ran to hospitals, ran to medical. I went into debt to get to top psychiatrists. We tried everything. I don't know what to do anymore. And my family is falling apart. My business is falling apart. What did I gain? I ran myself ragged. It's not like I see that there's any hope with men, with my child that's struggling. And I, and what I was trying to say to her was give yourself so much empathy and sympathy and acknowledgement for the hard work you did. No judgment. My biggest word is no judgment. My clients know, like I always say, no judgment, no judgment, acceptance, Clarity that you're doing the best you can with what you have, a ton of compassion. And if we really gave it to ourselves, it would empower us that we're doing the best we can with what we have now. And when I, even though it looks like everything's falling apart and we did, we worked so hard. It's like putting into a business for three, four, five years, getting investors, millions and millions of dollars. Every day of your life, you're putting. 18 hours of work and then it goes bust. Nothing works out. And then you're like, now what? Now what? You could pick yourself up and start again and say, okay, what did we learn from this? What can we apply the mistakes for the future? It's hard to do with a child, with a loved one, with a spouse, with a, it's brutal. But if we just showed up with empathy that we're doing the best we can and we're trying today better than we tried yesterday, or maybe we're taking a break today because we want to show up better tomorrow. You have 50% yeah. thing. Yes. And it's very important to know that no one gave us a manual. No one gave us a manual. And we're figuring it all out on our own. Many times I hear from people, I just wish someone would tell me what to do. What can I do? I just want to fix this. I just want to feel different. I just want them not to be in pain. Just tell me. Unfortunately, there's no manual, no script. And we just have to try and try and try. Have some good days, some harder days some days of despair, but then the hope comes up again. Especially too, as parents, we, we're going to try everything. We're going to try everything that we can. And especially as women, where we are going to naturally tell people, men are not, my husband's never going to show up to a dinner party and talk about our son's diagnosis. 
but I will yeah. because I want to reach. I want to see what other people are doing. Just like the cave women who had to all talk about the where the tiger was last seen kind of thing. So women definitely are going to be driving. They're there for a reason for these children. Yeah. And that unconditional love mm-hmm. and acceptance. Lisa, what does hope mean to you? It means just being open and hoping that other people, we can get through this together. Just not being alone and that imperfect action is okay. It doesn't have, doesn't have to be this big hoping uh, that something's going to turn out differently because that's not going to happen. But I think just being together, connection with other people. I love that you said hope is being open because when you're open, there's constant change. There's, it's not uh, absolute. I like that. Hope is being open. Nice. Lisa, thank you very much for sharing your journey with us, sharing your tips with others, your wisdom, taking your very hard journey and hard work and gifting it to the world that maybe they can take some of your journey and try to implement it on them. Maybe you gave comfort to someone saying, I'm not alone in this. And thank you for showing what empathy and compassion and seeing someone other's situation and trying to understand maybe a little bit as much as we can't, but just trying to hold space for whatever they're going through, because as much as we're going through a hard day, they are too. And let's try to see it from their standpoint and, and give from ourselves. And I love that you're such an amazing mother that you say that it's not about me. It's about how can I serve him? And you fill up your gas tank on your own and you give yourself your treats on your own and you protect yourself and you don't expect him to protect you. You own it, you do it, you show up, you're accountable. And that's a breath of fresh air. And people need to hear that on any giving relationship. That is important that we need to take care of ourselves. We need to have our boundaries. We need to know our triggers. We need to know what we can give and when we can give and when not to give. And that's okay. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time.